Section thirty nine of English Literature by William J. Long. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter nine continued. Precursors of the novel. Before the novel could reach its modern stage of a more or less sincere attempt to express human life and character, it had to pass through several centuries of almost imperceptible development among the early precursors of the novel we must place a collection of tales known as the greek romances dating from the second to the sixth centuries these are imaginative and delightful stories of ideal love and marvelous adventure note one of these tales was called the wonderful things beyond tuli it is the story of a youth Dinius who for love of a girl dercillus did heroic things and undertook many adventures including a journey to the frozen north and another to the moon a second tale ephesiaca is the story of a man and a maid each of whom scoffs at love they meet and fall desperately in love but the course of true love does not run smooth and they separate and suffer and go through many perils before they live happily ever after this tale is the source of the medieval story apollonius of tyre which is used in gower's confessio amantis and in shakespeare's pericles the third tale is the pastoral love story daphnis and chloe which reappeared in many forms in subsequent literature End of note which profoundly affected romance writing for the next thousand years a second group of predecessors is found in the italian and spanish pastoral romances which were inspired by the eclogues of virgil these were extremely popular in the fourteenth and fifteenth centuries and their influence is seen later in sydney's arcadia which is the best of this type in english the third and most influential group of predecessors of the novel is made up of the romances of chivalry such as are found in mallory's morte d'arthur it is noticeable in reading these beautiful old romances in different languages that each nation changes them somewhat so as to make them more expressive of national traits and ideals in a word the old romance tends inevitably towards realism especially in england where the excessive imagination is curbed and the heroes become more human in mallory in the unknown author of sir gawain and the green knight and especially in chaucer we see the effect of the practical english mind in giving these old romances a more natural setting and in making the heroes suggest though faintly the men and women of their own day the canterbury tales with their story interest and their characters delightfully true to nature have in them the suggestion at least of a connected story whose chief aim is to reflect life as it is in the elizabethan age the idea of the novel grows more definite in sydney's arcadia fifteen eighty a romance of chivalry the pastoral setting at least is generally true to nature our credulity is not taxed as in the old romances by the continual appearance of magic or miracles and the characters though idealized till they become tiresome occasionally give the impression of being real men and women 
in bacon's the new atlantis sixteen twenty seven we have the story of the discovery by mariners of an unknown country inhabited by a superior race of men more civilized than ourselves an idea which had been used by moore in his utopia in fifteen sixteen these two books are neither romances nor novels in the strict sense but studies of social institutions they use the connected story as a means of teaching moral lessons and of bringing about needed reforms and this valuable suggestion has been adopted by many of our modern writers in the so-called problem novels and novels of purpose nearer to the true novel is lodge's romantic story of rosalinda which was used by shakespeare in as you like it this was modeled upon the italian novella or short story which became very popular in england during the elizabethan age in the same age we have introduced into england the spanish picaresque novel from picaro a knave or rascal which at first was a kind of burlesque on the medieval romance and which took for its hero some low scoundrel or outcast instead of a knight and followed him through a long career of scandals and villainies one of the earliest types of this picaresque novel in english is nash's the unfortunate traveller or the life of jack wilton fifteen ninety four which is also a forerunner of the historical novel since its action takes place during that gorgeous interview between henry the eighth and the king of france on the field of the cloth of gold in all these short stories and picaresque novels the emphasis was laid not so much on life and character as on the adventures of the hero and the interest consisted largely in wondering what would happen next and how the plot would end the same method is employed in all trashy novels and it is especially the bane of many modern story writers this excessive interest in adventures or incidents for their own sake and not for their effect on character is what distinguishes the modern adventure story from the true novel in the puritan age we approach still nearer to the modern novel especially in the work of bunyan and as the puritan always laid emphasis on character stories appeared having a definite moral purpose bunyan's the pilgrim's progress sixteen seventy eight differs from the fairy queen and from all other medieval allegories in this important respect that the characters far from being bloodless abstractions are but thinly disguised men and women indeed many a modern man reading the story of the christian has found in it the reflection of his own life and experience in the life and death of mr badman sixteen eighty two we have another and even more realistic study of a man as he was in bunyan's day these two striking figures christian and mr badman belong among the great characters of english fiction bunyan's good work his keen insight his delineation of character and his emphasis upon the moral effects of individual action was carried on by addison and steele some thirty years later 
the character of sir roger de coverley is a real reflection of english country life in the eighteenth century and with steele's domestic sketches in the tatler the spectator and the guardian seventeen o nine seventeen thirteen we definitely cross the borderland that lies outside of romance and enter the region of character study where the novel has its beginning the discovery of the modern novel notwithstanding this long history of fiction to which we have called attention it is safe to say that until the publication of richardson's pamela in seventeen forty no true novel had appeared in any literature by a true novel we mean simply a work of fiction which relates the story of a plain human life under stress of emotion which depends for its interest not on incident or adventure but on its truth to nature a number of english novelists goldsmith richardson fielding smollett sterne all seem to have seized upon the idea of reflecting life as it is in the form of a story and to have developed it simultaneously the result was an extraordinary awakening of interest especially among people who had never before been greatly concerned with literature we are to remember that in previous periods the number of readers was comparatively small and that with the exception of a few writers like langland and bunyan authors wrote largely for the upper classes in the eighteenth century the spread of education and the appearance of newspapers and magazines led to an immense increase in the number of readers and at the same time the middle-class people assumed a foremost place in english life and history these new readers and this new powerful middle class had no classic tradition to hamper them they cared little for the opinions of dr johnson and the famous literary club and so far as they read fiction at all they apparently took little interest in the exaggerated romances of impossible heroes and the picaresque stories of intrigue and villainy which had interested the upper classes some new type of literature was demanded this new type must express the new ideal of the eighteenth century namely the value and the importance of the individual life so the novel was born expressing though in a different way exactly the same ideals of personality and the dignity of common life which were later proclaimed in the american and in the french revolution and were welcomed with rejoicing by the poets of the romantic revival to tell men not about knights or kings or types of heroes but about themselves in the guise of plain men and women about their own thoughts and motives and struggles and the results of actions upon their own characters this was the purpose of our first novelists the eagerness with which their chapters were read in england and the rapidity with which their work was copied abroad show how powerfully the new discovery appealed to readers everywhere before we consider the work of these writers who first developed the modern novel we must glance at the work of a pioneer daniel defoe whom we place among the early novelists for the simple reason that we do not know how else to classify him daniel defoe sixteen sixty one question mark seventeen thirty one to defoe is often given the credit for the discovery of the modern novel but whether or not he deserves that honor is an open question 
even a casual reading of robinson crusoe seventeen nineteen which generally heads the list of modern fiction shows that this exciting tale is largely an adventure story rather than the study of human character which defoe probably intended it to be young people still read it as they might a dime novel skipping its moralizing passages and hurrying on to more adventures but they seldom appreciate the excellent mature reasons which banish the dime novel to a secret place in the haymow while crusoe hangs proudly on the christmas tree and holds an honored place on the family bookshelf defoe's apparition of mrs veal memoirs of a cavalier and journal of the plague year are such mixtures of fact fiction and credulity that they defy classification while other so-called novels like captain singleton moll flanders and roxana are but little better than picaresque stories with a deal of unnatural moralizing and repentance added for puritanical effect in crusoe defoe brought the realistic adventure story to a very high stage of its development but his works hardly deserve to be classified as true novels which must subordinate incident to the faithful portrayal of human life and character life defoe was the son of a london butcher named foe and kept his family name until he was forty years of age when he added the aristocratic prefix with which we have grown familiar the events of his busy seventy years of life in which he passed through all extremes from poverty to wealth from prosperous brickmaker to starveling journalist from newgate prison to immense popularity and royal favor are obscure enough in details but four facts stand out clearly which help the reader to understand the character of his work first defoe was a jack at all trades as well as a writer his interest was largely with the working classes and notwithstanding many questionable practices he seems to have had some continued purpose of educating and uplifting the common people this partially accounts for the enormous popularity of his works and for the fact that they were criticized by literary men as being fit only for the kitchen second he was a radical nonconformist in religion and was intended by his father for the independent ministry the puritan zeal for reform possessed him and he tried to do by his pen what wesley was doing by his preaching without however having any great measure of the latter's sincerity or singleness of purpose this zeal for reform marks all his numerous works and accounts for the moralizing to be found everywhere third defoe was a journalist and pamphleteer with a reporter's eye for the picturesque and a newspaper man's instinct for making a good story he wrote an immense number of pamphlets poems and magazine articles conducted several papers one of the most popular the review being issued from prison and the fact that they often blew hot and cold upon the same question was hardly noticed indeed so extraordinarily interesting and plausible were defoe's articles that he generally managed to keep employed by the party in power whether whig or tory 
this long journalistic career lasting half a century accounts for his direct simple narrative style which holds us even now by its intense reality to defoe's genius we are also indebted for two discoveries the interview and the leading editorial both of which are still in daily use in our best newspapers the fourth fact to remember is that defoe knew prison life and thereby hangs a tale in seventeen o two defoe published a remarkable pamphlet called the shortest way with the dissenters supporting the claims of the free churches against the high flyers i e tories and anglicans in a vein of grim humor which recalls swift's modest proposal defoe advocated hanging all dissenting ministers and sending all members of the free churches into exile and so ferociously realistic was the satire that both dissenters and tories took the author literally defoe was tried found guilty of seditious libel and sentenced to be fined to stand three days in the pillory and to be imprisoned hardly had the sentence been pronounced when defoe wrote his hymn to the pillory hail hieroglyphic state machine contrived to punish fancying a set of doggerel verses ridiculing his prosecutors which defoe with a keen eye for advertising scattered all over london crowds flocked to cheer him in the pillory and seeing that defoe was making popularity out of persecution his enemies bundled him off to newgate prison he turned this experience also to account by publishing a popular newspaper and by getting acquainted with rogues pirates smugglers and miscellaneous outcasts each one with a good story to be used later after his release from prison in seventeen o four he turned his knowledge of criminals to further account and entered the government employ as a kind of spy or secret service agent his prison experience and the further knowledge of criminals gained in over twenty years as a spy accounts for his numerous stories of thieves and pirates jonathan wilde and captain avery and also for his later novels which deal almost exclusively with villains and outcasts when defoe was nearly sixty years of age he turned to fiction and wrote the great work by which he is remembered robinson crusoe was an instant success and the author became famous all over europe other stories followed rapidly and defoe earned money enough to retire to newington and live in comfort but not idly for his activity in producing fiction is rivaled only by that of walter scott thus in seventeen twenty appeared captain singleton duncan campbell and memoirs of a cavalier in seventeen twenty two colonel jack moll flanders and the amazingly realistic journal of the plague year so the list grows with astonishing rapidity ending with the history of the devil in seventeen twenty six in the latter year defoe's secret connection with the government became known and a great howl of indignation rose against him in the public print destroying in an hour the popularity which he had gained by a lifetime of intrigue and labor he fled from his home to london where he died obscurely in seventeen thirty one while hiding from real or imaginary enemies works of defoe 
at the head of the list stands robinson crusoe 1719-1720 one of the few books in any literature which has held its popularity undiminished for nearly two centuries the story is based upon the experiences of alexander selkirk or selcraig who had been marooned in the island of juan fernandez off the coast of chile and who had lived there in solitude for five years on his return to england in seventeen o nine selkirk's experiences became known and steele published an account of them in the englishman without however attracting any wide attention that defoe used selkirk's story is practically certain but with his usual duplicity he claimed to have written crusoe in seventeen o eight a year before selkirk's return however that may be the story itself is real enough to have come straight from a sailor's logbook defoe as shown in his journal of the plague year and his memoirs of a cavalier had the art of describing things he had never seen with the accuracy of an eye-witness robinson crusoe the charm of the story is its intense reality in the succession of thoughts feelings incidents which every reader recognizes to be absolutely true to life at first glance it would seem that one man on a desert island could not possibly furnish the material for a long story but as we read we realize with amazement that every slightest thought and action the saving of the cargo of the shipwrecked vessel the preparation for defense against imaginary foes the intense agitation over the discovery of a footprint in the sand is a record of what the reader himself would do and feel if he were alone in such a place defoe's long and varied experience now stood him in good stead in fact he was the only man of letters in his time who might have been thrown on a desert island without finding himself at a loss what to do note mentos life of defoe end of note and he puts himself so perfectly in his hero's place that he repeats his blunders as well as his triumphs thus what reader ever followed defoe's hero through weary feverish months of building a huge boat which was too big to be launched by one man without recalling some boy who spent many stormy days in shed or cellar building a boat or dog-house and who when the thing was painted and finished found it a foot wider than the door and had to knock it to pieces this absolute naturalness characterizes the whole story it is a study of the human will also of patience fortitude and the indomitable saxon spirit overcoming all obstacles and it was this element which made rousseau recommend robinson crusoe as a better treatise on education than anything which aristotle or the moderns had ever written and this suggests the most significant thing about defoe's masterpiece namely that the hero represents the whole of human society doing with his own hands all the things which by the division of labor and the demands of modern civilization are now done by many different workers he is therefore the type of the whole civilized race of men in the remaining works of defoe more than two hundred in number there is an astonishing variety but all are marked by the same simple narrative style and the same intense realism 
the best known of these are the journal of the plague year in which the horrors of a frightful plague are minutely recorded the memoirs of a cavalier so realistic that chatham quoted it as history in parliament and several picaresque novels like captain singleton colonel jack moll flanders and roxana the last work is by some critics given a very high place in realistic fiction but like the other three and like defoe's minor narratives of jack shepherd and cartouche it is a disagreeable study of vice ending with a forced and unnatural repentance End of section thirty nine